Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the New Orleans Saints. This is the Saints Wire Podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Here's your host, Ryan O'Leary, and Saints Wire editor, John Siegler. So, John, I don't think Saints fans are going to care about this, but Red Sox fans out here in the Boston area where I live, remember fondly when Pedro Martinez of the Red Sox famously called the Yankees his daddy during a press conference? And I think we're getting to the point now where Sean Payton, Drew Brees, the Saints, they're Tom Brady's daddy. Yeah, you know, they're, they're 2-0. and they, They've outscored the Bucks uh, something like 72-10 to 10 over the, over the last Jesus. three quarters. Oh, uh, yeah. Been, That's crazy. It's been, yeah, it's, been, it's, been, it's, been, it's pretty crazy. It's uh, good, good to see, though, and I think it really bodes well for the second half of the Saints season, season coming up here. So, like, what what did you learn most about this team from this game? Is Was it just the Bucks playing so atrociously? Was it the Saints' defense rising to the occasion? You know, what do you, what's your top takeaway from it, John? And they finally played complimentary football. Yeah. The defense made Four plays up front and on the back end. I mean, we've had games where the coverage was, was there and the pass rush wasn't. We've had games where they're getting after the quarterback and the coverage is falling apart and busting and letting receivers run free to, to make up for it. This was finally a game where the Saints defense was playing in sync on all three levels. I know pro football focus that graded Demario Davis poorly for his day. I, I, I would need to go back and refocus on him to see what they need him for so much. But the real story here is, that, is the Saints' pass rush up front. And Marcus Davenport did, did not was not credited with a sack in this game, but he was a bull in a china shop. Um, he was giving Bucks left tackle Donovan Smith the business, and he, he was playing really well in these these stunts and twist combos that the Saints were, were running with uh, Cameron Jordan. They're lined up as, as a defensive tackle at times. So the Saints played tremendous up front. Um, we finally saw some veterans in, in the back end with Malcolm Jenkins and Janoris Jenkins, both, uh, no relation, but, <laughs> but, but both of them played, played very well. They, they finally seemed comfortable in, in, in the system. And Marshawn Lattimore, um, he's, he is now uh, – I, I think he gets to claim Mike Evans on his taxes at this point. Seriously, he owns that man. He does. He owns it. He, there's no there's no question about that. And Mike Evans is so clearly their their best receiver. So when you take him out of the game, even with Godwin, Gronk, uh, Antonio Brown, all these weapons, it's like you take Evans away and the offense just does not function properly. So yeah, no, you could tell. You could tell, man. The Bucks want nothing to do with the Saints team. It's a bad matchup for them. They they do not like playing the Saints, and there's no doubt about it in my mind. Uh, but for me, I made that reference to uh, you know Boston. You know, I live out here in New Hampshire. So I watched a lot of Tom Brady in my time, John. And the thing when you have Tom Brady on your team is you never get blown out like that. You just never do. You never do. Sometimes the game's going to be getting away from you, but you always know you're going to be within a couple touchdowns at the very least. In the fourth quarter, it's still going to be interesting. And for the first time ever, and I think Tom Brady's two-decade career, this game was over at halftime. 
100% done. Four three-and-outs to start the game. That's never happened to Brady in his career, right? 31 to nothing. 38 to three final score. I mean, it was so bad. A Tom Brady team has never kicked a field goal, John, like a high school team, just to put points on the board to feel good about yourself at the end of the That was unbelievable, <laughs> the butt whooping the Saints put on him. Uh, I'm, I still am not over it. And now I'm starting to wonder, like, what's it tell us about this Bucks team? Because every other week they they go from Super Bowl contender or Super Bowl favorite to, you know, worst team in the NFC, you know, or somewhere in between. It's like the extremes with this team. It's like all over the place. Yeah, it was wild. I mean, the Saints were running running out the clock uh, before halftime. I mean, they got the ball back with, with I believe, 55, 57 seconds left, and they, they kneel it out just just to file this one away as quick as, as, quick as they can because they knew that uh, the Bucks. they just it looked yeah. like an Aaron Rodgers team when he's 100%. down by two scores. I mean, they, they, they had no fight in them. They, they were not looking to compete. It, it was incredible. Uh, while we're riffing on Tom Brady a little bit, my two <laughs> favorite Tom Brady stats in this game. Uh, number one, this, is, this was the very first time in his NFL career that he has ever been swept by a divisional opponent. Never happened against Buffalo, the Jets. Um, well, that vaunted AFC Dolphins. East, John. Come on, that vaunted AFC. Yeah, 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 very well-respected AFC East. <laughs> yeah, the uh, clown college there in the, the AFC <laughs> Hey, no, 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 um, no. It's the NFC East now, though. Come on. Yeah, 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 yeah. They, they, they've they've uh, switched up. Yeah, yeah. They passed the torch. The, the, the East Coast. But my, but my second favorite stat from this game was this was the worst drubbing Brady has ever taken. The, the, the worst loss he ever had with the Patriots was back in 2004, I believe, to, to the Bills. Incidentally, he lost that one 31 to three. The Saints beat this one by beat that score by a touchdown. So. This, this was something he's never seen before. He, he's never had to respond to before. The Bucks season might really hinge on what happens next because the, the NFC playoff picture is so crowded that they could end up missing the dance if they, if they don't get it together in a hurry. Yeah, it, it's so interesting. This game does. It, it, this game is going to matter. That 2004 game you just mentioned, John, I remember that like it was yesterday. Drew Bledsoe was the quarterback for the Bills in that game. And Lawyer Malloy got cut by Bill Belichick and signed by the Bills. And then Lawyer Malloy played against the Patriots and that whole thing. Oh, yeah. And then the Bills were completely in Brady's head. And that's exactly what happened. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. That thing. Big, big revenge game, then. Yeah, that was in the back of my mind. I've kind of, like, blocked it out of my memory. And you just brought it back to the fore. So, Shame on you, John. Don't do that to me, man. Don't do that to me. So, so yeah. So, never again. Yeah, yeah. So many layers to this game. So many more things I want to get to with John. We'll do it on the other side. We'll be right back. Fantasy football is about proving that you are better than your friends. Sit them. Start them. These are the fantasy picks of the week. It will kill me if this game ends at a tie. I need this win. This game's pretty much done. With Corey Bonini from TheHuddle.com. I'm Corey Benini of TheHuddle.com, here to talk to you about strong plays for Week 10 of the fantasy football season. This one might be a no-brainer, but coming off of his bye, Jared Goff versus the Seattle Seahawks. Just about everybody is a must-start against Seattle's defense. Even if you remove five rushing touchdowns against Seattle by quarterbacks, no team has given up more than the 372.5 yards per game allowed by this team. The blueprint is clear on how to beat Seattle. Pass and pass a lot. Washington running back J.D. McKissick goes to the Detroit Lions, his former employer, from the 2019 season. He knows the defense well and has practiced against it extensively. McKissick benefits from Alex Smith taking over for Kyle Allen as the quarterback in Washington. It's no fluke that he played so well in the last couple games, and he faces a defense that has given up the most yards per game to the position via the pass. Look for another double-digit day in PPR scoring for McKissick. 
going back to the Seattle-Los Angeles matchup, David Moore of the Seahawks, it's hard to get away from him. The level of defensive scrutiny paid towards DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett has more finding the end zone with surprising regularity. He scored consecutive games and has four touchdowns in the last five outings. The only problem is when he's bad, he's so bad that he shouldn't even be anywhere near a fantasy lineup. That said, with all of the attention paid to the star receivers around him, Moore is worth playing in fantasy football action in Week 10. Another guy with an inconsistent target share is Titan Trey Burton of the Indianapolis Colts. He faces the Tennessee Titans, a defense that's given up five touchdowns to the position in eight games, including two over the last four weeks. In the recent window, three guys have posted at least 11 PPR points, and all three of those guys had six pass receptions. Even if he doesn't find the end zone, there's a pretty good chance that he's relevant in fantasy. Gamers could do worse, especially if they've lost somebody like Zach Ertz or George Kittle to injury. For more fantasy football news, tips, and advice, be sure to check out thehuddle.com. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, John, one thing that I think is so interesting it was the winner of this game was going to be in the driver's seat for the NFC South title, right? It, now the Saints have a stranglehold on it. They got the tiebreaker. They've, they've separated themselves from the Bucks. Now the Bucks are probably the favorite. If they do take care, and, you know, unless it goes off the rails, like you said, I think there's a blow-up factor with this team, 100%. They could miss the playoffs outright. I would not be stunned if that happened. But there's also that thing where they could get it together, win the games they should. I don't think they're going to catch the Saints, but they could end up being that number five seed very easily. They might be the favorite to be that number five seed in the NFC this year. We just we talked about the NFC East a little bit. The five seeds, not the worst place to be, right? Because you're going to go on the road and play what should be an easy playoff game against like the Eagles or the Giants or don't don't even get me started on the Washington freaking football team. If they sneak it, who knows who it's going to be in that NFC East? Probably the Eagles. But if you're the Saints, like say you lost this game to the Bucks and now you're the you end up being the number five seed, the best wildcard team. Would you rather go on the road to play the Eagles or would you rather be home if you're not the one seed? Right. If so, if you're the two or the three, would you rather be home? home to play a team like the Rams or the Cardinals. I think that gets tricky, right? Like the Bucks, if they take care of business and they end up the five, it's not going to be like the worst thing in the world for them. Yeah. So speaking from the Saints perspective, I would much rather start out by going on the road to Philadelphia because the Saints are undefeated in Philadelphia in the postseason. There you go. Uh, they won their very first, their, their, their first and only uh, appearance, appearance there back in 2013. Um, and, you know, as bad as the Eagles are, I think that's a very winnable matchup for whoever gets it. But at the end of the day, you have to chase that number one seed. Uh, getting a first round by, um, that, that's integral. Uh, if you look at the, at the last 10 or 12 Super Bowl participants, not even the winners, just, just the teams who got there. Something like 80% of them were first or second uh, seeds, uh, teams that got a bye week. So just, just escaping that first round, that first elimination round, get, getting deeper into the postseason, getting a, a literal leg up on your competition, that means so much. And for the Saints, if that means you have to host a better Cardinals team or a better Rams team and going on the road to face a vulnerable Eagles squad, I think you've got to take that. Um, I, I, all jokes aside, when the chips are down and when you're in the postseason, you, you've got to set yourself up for as favorable a situation as possible. And the math suggests that would be 
getting that top seed or, or at least competing for it. Yeah, it's going to be such a fun race, right? I mean, the Seahawks defense is so freaking pathetic that they might fall off, but that the Saints and the Packers going for the one seed is going to be really, really interesting going down the stretch. The Packers have kind of a light schedule. The Saints got to play the Chiefs still, so, the, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, but I kind of like the Saints going up against the Chiefs. They're going to have some confidence now for sure going forward. Yeah, you know, another thing, another, you know, Bucks related question I want to throw at you, John, is we talked about the Antonio Brown factor last week going into the game, and I just thought, what a terrible look. What a terrible look for the Bucks and for Brady. And you know me, I'm a Brady guy. I'm a Brady apologist over here. But what a terrible look lobbying and playing GM and getting Antonio Brown to Tampa Bay, bringing him to your own house, right? Antonio Brown's living in the mansion with Giselle and the kids. And then going out and playing the worst game of your career, right? I mean, you got Antonio Brown. Everyone was out there. And literally Brady's throwing interceptions, trying to target Brown down the field. That whole narrative with Antonio Brown now being there and this being his first game, clearly the Bucks spent time trying to get him acclimated and get him involved. And meanwhile, you're playing, as you, as you said, John, Brady performs the worst he's ever performed in a football game. I think that's a terrible look. What do you think? Yeah, it looks awful. I mean, I don't know how big of an influence Brown had on had on the game in total. I mean, he had the big incompletion on on, on the opening drive uh, when he had when he got beat on the route by Jaris Jenkins and had to work back and uh, kill an, an interception. Um, and then later on, he had a big, I believe it was a third down conversion uh, late where Brady just threw a laser to him and he snatched it right out of the air. But I don't know that he had much to influence a loss here um, so much as he wasn't a big enough uh, positive because once right. the Saints took Mike Evans away, Brady didn't have any other options. I mean, Brown, I don't know if he wasn't getting open or if Brady couldn't work through his professions in the face of the Saints' pass rush to find him. But I don't think he gave the Buccaneers the return they were hoping for by bringing him in. And considering all of the flack that they have deservedly caught from this move, this one might get uglier before it gets better. What a day for the Saints. What a day for the Saints. You know, the Bucks have that. You don't really know how they're going to deploy Brown. You don't know if they're going to use him as a decoy or what. And it just didn't matter. The Saints just locked them down. And man, you see it over Brady's career. If you get pressure on him, he, you know, he kind of folds a little bit. And the Saints were able to do that. So much kudos go to the Saints. And John, so much so that the head coach deserves to cut a rug in the uh, postgame locker room. He deserves to dance a little bit if he wants to, right? And, and what's your reaction to people that are appalled? by Sean Payton dancing in the locker room without a mask on. Like, what do, you, what do you think about that? I just want to give you a couple minutes here to respond to that. Yeah, I just think it's kind of silly because yeah. it's not violating any of any of the COVID protocols. Um, like, yeah, it's not a good look, just, just strictly speaking, as, as far as the, the, the situation, not just of the NFL, but of the, uh, the general public right now. Um, I, I understand that reaction, of, that, that kind of gut negativity to, towards it. But, I mean, these guys have been playing a contact sport for four hours before this uh, before this happened. They, they can afford five minutes to strut around a little bit and and celebrate and have have their couple of minutes in, in the spotlight there. I don't think it's a big issue in, in, within the grand scheme of things. And it certainly does not compare to what, you know, what the Raiders and the Titans, teams that have put the NFL's schedule in jeopardy with their negligence, um, have, have done. So saying things like, oh, the, the Saints are competing with the Raiders to have the most irresponsible COVID reaction, that, 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 that's a reach. That's such a reach. It's irresponsible to say that or, or allege that. And I, I just don't buy that in, in any capacity. So I think the end result of this is we may see less of Sean Payton's post-game dance moves on social media. Yeah. I don't know yeah. that he's going to really, really switch up his approach here. Keep it in-house. Um, but it may just be one of those things that flies under the radar a little more than it has before. Yeah, keep it in-house. Keep it in-house. 
but you know it's, it's exactly. okay it's okay to have a little bit of fun but speaking of fun john uh man this this next matchup Saints 49ers, one we probably all had circled beginning of the year. That, that was going to be a really fun matchup. Not so much. The shine is off on this one a little bit. Let's get into that coming up next. It's that time again for the line of the week. The inside track to the favorites, the underdogs, and the over-unders. I think I want my money back. Now, here are Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren from USA Today's Sportsbook Wire. Hello, I'm Esther McLaren of SportsbookWire.com and Bet Slippin' Podcast. I'm joined by Jeff Clark, as always, to break down all you need to know to bet on the Week 10 Monday Night Football game between the Minnesota Vikings and Chicago Bears. The Vikings are two-and-a-half-point road favorites, minus 115 odds. Bears, minus 106 to cover plus 2.5 at home. Over-under of 44-and-a-half, minus 110 odds on either side of that. Jeff, Vikings coming off a couple of great performances. Are they back on track? And the Chicago Bears, can they bounce back from an ugly loss against the Tennessee Titans last week? Oh, I think they're going to bounce back. This is a great spot for the Bears, getting points at home. Kirk Cousins is 0-3 straight up and against the spread versus Chicago since joining the Minnesota Vikings. And they've done a really good job bottling up Dalvin Cook. He's played against the Bears uh, in three games. He's got 47 touches with 140 total yards and one touchdown in those three games. And Kirk Cousins, we all know how he struggles in Monday Night Football. Um, he's got an 0-9 record record in Monday Night Football. Give me the Bears plus points. I'm on the Vikings. They're back to three and five on the year. A couple of big divisional wins against Green Bay Packers and Detroit Lions last two weeks. They make it three in a row. Delvin Cook is right there in the MVP race. Vikings minus two and a half. They win by three. Subscribe to Bet Slippin' Podcast on your favorite app. Please be sure to rate and review. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. John, the Saints are going to host this 49ers team that trotted out a JV squad against the Packers on Thursday night, and it didn't go so well. It didn't go so well for them. And I got to admit, I actually thought, like, Shanahan is so good that he was going to, in the, in the 49ers have been in the Packers' head for so many years, right? And you think back to the NFC Championship game last year. Whoa, oh, my gosh. So I, I also thought, like, it doesn't matter who's running the football. Shanahan's going to torment that Packers team. Nope didn't happen and I actually I saw a tweet that you had you knew the Packers are going to blow doors in that one and they did I don't think much is going to change with the 49ers basically every player you've ever heard of for the casual fans out there won't be playing in this game so uh this is a spot for the Saints to kind of keep it rolling right nine and a half point favorites at home against the 49ers defending NFC champions woof what do you think about that yeah this is a very very different 49ers squad from what Saints fans saw a year ago a great stat from their loss to the Packers they didn't have a single player on the field on the offense who touched the football during last year's NFC title game. Uh, they didn't have the center, the quarterback, the running back, <laughs> no, none of the receivers, none of them. It was, it was a total shift. They are getting some players back for this game. They had a, they had a couple of receivers, uh, Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk coming, coming off of the COVID list. So that's going to help them out. Uh, they've got my guy, Nick Mullins, uh, Southern Myth to the top, their quarterback. Mullins, um, baby. Yeah, yeah, Mullins, man, uh, the next rep bar, of course. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Looks better than Jimmy. There and 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, QB1, man. So we saw him uncork it a little bit against the Packers. Uh, he had several, yeah, I think he had four completions of 35 or more yards. So he, he's not afraid to just pull a Flacco and let it rip and go and go deep downfield. So that's something that the Saints defense has to be wary of. The good news is this is a, an offense that they, they know relatively well I mean, yeah, compared to others that they've seen this year. Just by virtue of having played the 49ers last year, having seen Shanahan system several times, and then hopefully one of their starting linebackers will be Quan Alexander, who practiced against Shanahan yeah, every yeah, day yeah. from last year. And he's someone who does an exceptional job of re- reading and reacting to play-action fakes, to motion before the snap, understanding how a play develops. The issue with him is with a lot of players like that, where they, they know where the ball is going, they know how the play is designed, they can't make the tackle once they get in position. So hopefully that's something the Saints can work with him quickly. Uh, they, they have a full week of practice with him if he's healthy. That's something we'll be waiting to see on the injury report because he was limited with a with high ankle sprain in the last two weeks, I believe, with the 49ers prior to that trade. But if he's healthy and if he can pick up the system, he's someone I anticipate playing very often on Sunday, and he might be able to give the Saints a very big edge against this uh, kind of limited 49ers offense. Yeah, they are. And that's good insight right there. And, you know, there's a chance, John. There's a chance that the Saints could get all up on this team, win by a lot. We might even see Jameis get back out there, eat another W, right? We That's that's definitely in the Gosh. cards here. Uh, another thing that might be in the cards if the Saints get up big again, we might see more of the Taysom Hill experience. I'm wondering if you're starting to come around on it. Two for two passing, seven carries for 54 yards. He had a 21-yard reception. Oh, man. I think sports nerds out there that don't, you know, that aren't like 100% invested in the Saints watch that and be like, oh, man, this is so cool. Look at Taysom Hill doing it. I know you haven't been 100% sold on the uh, Taysom Hill experience, John, but he had himself a good game against those Bucks, didn't he? He did, and the, his usage shifted a lot. Um, he, he wasn't asked to take a lot of reps as, as a quarterback. He was not asked yeah. to stand tall in the pocket and evade pressure and look downfield. The Saints lined him up very often there at, at the tight end, at slot receiver, wide receiver. They put him in, in positions where he can catch the ball in stride and use his high weight speed advantage against these smaller defensive backs to mull them over, run through them. Uh, he, he even hurdled a defender at one point. So it's, you're putting him in a spot where he can use his athleticism and he can use that toughness that he brings, which is rare for a quarterback, um, in which the defensive backs continue to kind of underrate about him, then, yeah, he's going to be more effective and he's going to make impressive plays like that. Uh, the issue is identifying what works and what doesn't. And that's something the Saints struggled with early on this season. It's kind of why, why the Taysom Hill package was catching a lot of heat um, was because he was not coming through in those moments. He was not converting first downs. He was not creating chunk plays. Now he has, and hopefully the Saints have a much better plan in place for the second half of the season. Yeah, well, it always helps, John, when you're 38 to nothing, so you can dabble around a little bit in it, right? But yeah, no. Yeah, if you can, if you can go up by 28, to yeah, yeah. You can go up 28 points in your first 14 plays, then yeah, I think I think you're doing pretty well. It's just a beautiful thing. It's just a beautiful thing. Yeah, I'm not a uh, God, you know, I'm, I'm an idiot when it comes to math, so I don't want to I don't want to out myself here too bad. But uh, he plays 26 percent of the offensive snaps. Taysom does, and he touches the ball 10 times. Which tells me, again, I'm not a big math guy, but that tells me when he was on the field, the Saints were looking to get it, get him the ball in some capacity. Yeah, this definitely felt like a game where Sean Payton had a point to make, and he, he made that point of emphasis, and he did it. Mm-hmm. Um, where he was kind of reminding everyone, hey, this is what Payton is capable of. This is why we believe in him so much. This is why he's such, we consider him such an important part of our offense. Now, looking at this from, I don't know, 35,000 feet, I don't know if that same Taysom Hill package would be effective when he's the full-time starting quarterback uh, potentially next year. But for now, 
for this season, for the goal of winning a Super Bowl with Drew Brees still around, I think this is the way to go, and I really hope the Saints stick to what's working with him. Yeah, for sure. So, hey, it, this is a sneaky big game, right? The 49ers come in, they're very, very, very beatable. Uh, this is a game that the Saints are going to want to win and not have a letdown after just beating down the Bucks. You know, they're going to want to win this one, and like you said earlier, keep their keep pace with the Packers and the Seahawks there for that number one seed. This is this is where we're at now. Yeah, hopefully the Saints can do it. They've had issues in the past of playing down to their competition a bit, especially after a big win like this. Mm. Um, we saw that last year when they came out of the bye week, they were facing the Atlanta Falcons um, at the Superdome, and they just like they late laid a goose egg. They, they lost twenty six to nine. Um, it was very it was, it was an ugly loss, yep. um, and it was. Entirely because the Saints overlooked this opponent. You know they were looking further down their looking further down their schedule, uh, looking at a game incidentally against the 49ers that was huge, hugely pivotal for, for playoff seeding. And you know they were kind of caught asleep at the wheel here here against Falcons last year. I truly hope that's not the case this time. You know you have to hope that the Saints are going to stay locked in, stay focused, stay prepared, stay in rhythm as far as practice and COVID testing and film study and team meetings and everything so that they can take the field on Sunday and put themselves in a strong position to win this game and hopefully have it over 20 minutes and again. John, always appreciate the insight, my man. All right, take care of yourself. Thanks, bud. You as well. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.